0: Hey everybody, good to be with you this morning. I'm uh, shamelessly promoting my book that just came out, Um, One Small Barking Dog, Hot to Live a Life That's Hard to Ignore. There's some in the bookstore. I'm talking about this morning, the genesis of this project was um, this notion that I really believe that God cares as much about what goes on in our homes on Tuesdays or your job on Monday morning as he does about what happens in a service on the weekend. I think our lives matter. I, I believe that there is a devil. Um, I don't, you know, there's people that talk about Satan and all the, uh, you know, demons, all that kind of thing, and they seem to know a whole lot more than even the Bible says. Um, so I'm not, I'm not real into the devil, you know, but I do believe there is a devil. And 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 I, and and one of the primary sort of functions of the enemy to our soul, uh, the Bible says, is to accuse us. To, to basically to sell us the idea that we're not worth anything. You know, we live in a culture where, unless you stick out amazing, uh, you're in the Western world by being amazingly rich, or amazingly, amazingly beautiful, or amazingly talented, that you, you have the sense that you're not worth anything. And, and I don't think that that's true. I really believe that each one of our lives matters, and that, you know, this whole, in Judeo-Christian thought, there's always been this idea that each one of us was created by God on purpose to matter. And, and that we're, we're on purpose people. That we're intentional creations of God. That we've been created to participate in a story that he's been telling since creation began. And, the, and that he's telling in the earth. Uh, Paul claims in Acts 17 from one person God made all every nation of people that, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And watch this. He determined the the times set for them. In other words, the time in history that you'd be born, God imagined that. He purposed that for you and the exact places where you should live. This means that you're not an accident. This means that the the time in history in which you live, uh, the family that you were born into, God did that intentionally, not because he hates you. but because he believes in you and 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 the idea here is that that we should live in a way that we think wait a minute I want to live in a way that matters I think that whether you're 90 or whether you're a person that's uh, you know maybe just wasted your life up to this and you feel like oh my gosh I'm such a waster uh, uh, no matter where you are no matter if you're in the depths of sin or in the midst of a horrible relational problem you can come alive to the fact and wake up to the fact that, wait a minute, my life matters. What I'm doing here counts. And and start looking to God to start putting your life back together. There's a difference between being a prodigal, which means you're a waster, and, and becoming a pilgrim, which means that you're moving toward an end that you believe God has for you. That, on, that you've been created on purpose. There's a, a verse in Psalm, Psalm 139, 16. It says, for your eyes, he's praying to God, for your eyes, God, you saw my unformed body. In other words, when I was still in my mother's womb, when I was in utero, before I said my first praise to the Lord, before I passed out a tract, you were watching me. It wasn't something that I did that caught your attention. You were just loving me. And he says "And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, God had... You were an imagination. You were part of a dream in him. And the way that he created you. And he has a plan. He has ideas of what you could be engaged with and be involved with. And I think that he created us specifically to hit those dreams. It means that you and I... Our dreams come true from God. And and at any point in your life, you can it can dawn on you, wait a minute, I matter. Now, the last time I was with you, I was pointing out that there are a few uh, in our world uh, who are the big dogs. These are the ones that, uh, they just stick out everything. And they stick out talented, stick out beautiful, stick out whatever. And uh, uh, they need to learn to take whatever they stick out with, however they're amazing, and learn how to submit that to God. If they don't, I mean, it doesn't take, you don't even have to read Christian literature. You can read literature just in history and just read reports of people that are rich and famous in our world. And you know that most of those people are trying to figure out ways how to live normal lives. Why? Because a lot of times when you stick out, it, 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 it causes normal to be elusive to you. So we should be delighted that we have at least normal, even if we're small dogs, right? We should rejoice in that. But that doesn't mean that we can't impact the world in an amazing way because I was sharing with you that I think that even though many have been created amazing and they have to learn how to, with their amazingness, how to live in a way that's normal and how to live in a way that they honor God in their stick out beautiful Uh, There's a great story of Esther uh, in the Old Testament. who who She went through some beauty contest thing and she won the the contest and she ends up being uh, matched up with the king. And uh, and so she's living the high life and all of a sudden a tragedy starts happening with her people, the Jews, and her uh, uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, Esther, uh, you know, maybe you're as beautiful as you are, not just for you. Maybe the way that you stick out is for more than yourself to be applauded. And and he said, maybe you were born for such a time as this. And so she takes her platform of her strength and she used it and risked her life to save the people of God. See, I think that people that are stick out amazing, stick out rich, they need to understand you're not just that way because you're extra special. You're just like the rest of us, right? But God just, you know, gave you that huge nose. (laughs) You know, you know. Or huge years, whatever you have, you know, you know, whatever you're huge at. God gave you that huge mind. I mean, uh, the rest of us, you know, maybe we can't do math, but maybe that's God's dream. That it's not part of what we're supposed to do. I think that, that whether we're, we're made big, we need to learn how to use that for God, or whether we're made small, we need to learn how to use that smallness for God. And one of the ways I was sharing with you last time that God uses our smallness is that we get to fit in places. We're a little less seen. We're a little less Overt, we can be part of his covert mission. Uh, if you're part of the FBI or the CIA or some of those organizations that are covert, they don't want you to walk around with badges that say, Hi. Uh, you know, you just think I'm an elevator repairman. I'm really with the CIA. I'm here investigating things. No, they want you to be undercover. They, in fact, your smallness, and you know, they think you're a elevator repairman precisely so you can pretend like you are, but there's something more going on. See, for most of us, God wants your kids to think you're just a mom. God wants your students to think you're just a teacher. You know, those of you that work on heating and air conditioning, they, he, wants you to, those, he, wants you, he wants those people to think you're just a heating, air conditioning person. But see, but what if you're more than that? What if in those places you're there to pray, you're there to be open, you're there to take, you know, to look for opportunities to manifest or relate God into the situation? In other words, what I'm suggesting is that your life matters, that God makes both great and small people, and it means if our lives matter, then that means that how we live, everybody say, "How how I live, how I live matters. Why? Because I'm suggesting to you that that one of the ways that God reveals himself to the world is through people. There's a great, you know, when when we read the Bible, you know, we don't hear what God was thinking when he made the stars. We don't hear what God was thinking when he made the hippo. But we hear exactly what he's thinking when he puts this motion to the creation of the human being. It says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. This idea of rule was a God trait. And so God was basically saying, Let's create this race of beings that they look like us and that they represent us and that they're our extension of us in the world, extension of the Trinity in the world. Now, this the, word, the Latin phrase here for image is imago Dei. It means the image of God, the likeness of God, the reflection of God. It, it implies that, that when one looks at humankind, they see something of God, right? Uh, I heard this, this verse quoted the other day and it struck me. This is out of Exodus 7. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like god to pharaoh see i've made you like god to pharaoh and and i and when i heard that i thought to myself you know what if god means that for each one of us that whomever the people in our world are that god means for us to be like god to them not that we are god but that somehow we represent god God, that, that, that this image of being the image of God, being the Imago Dei, is, the dream of it was that we would be like God within the creation. The problem is, is that the image that we were made in Genesis, we know from Christian theology, it's been marred. Somehow we were in the image of God, but the, the image got marred. And, 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 and we stopped looking like God. We started looking like something else. In fact, uh, Genesis 3, sin is the worm that sort of crawled its way into the human condition. And, and because of sin's presence in our lives, all of a sudden we started looking different. Our souls got weird. It was St. Augustine in the 4th century who said that, that the human soul became what he termed in Latin incurvatus, incurvatus. <laughs> it means it means that we were, you know how wicker furniture is? The wood is twisted and it's wicked, it, it's wicked furniture. That's where we get the word wicked. It's that the twistedness of the wood is that somehow our souls became twisted. We became incurvatus, right? And what that means is we weren't able to love rightly anymore when before the uh, fall of humankind when God had created us we we could love God rightly and we could love people rightly we could love things rightly but the moment that sin enters into the human condition we became wicked and all of a sudden when we love we don't really love things we love how things make us feel we weren't loving rightly we were loving selfishly we were loving for what we get out of it. That's why if you're not careful, instead of bringing God's kind of love into a relationship or a marriage, we don't love our spouse because we are representing God and we're saying, you know, I, I set love upon you and value upon you. Oftentimes what the love of a marriage is, well, I love the way they make me feel, and if she doesn't make me feel the same way, I don't love her anymore. Right? It's, it's a broken, twisted love. Well, Augustine suggested that when we are broken like that and twisted like that, we no longer look like God. We no longer represent God. And Jesus later, when He comes into the world, He looks at the at the people and He says, "You guys, you look as if you were like your father was the devil, not God. That that somehow, uh, instead of looking like God, the Father, we look like the devil." And, and it created this situation where, where Jesus was basically saying, "Listen, you guys need to be reimaged. You guys need to be changed. You guys need to be transformed." The whole this is what the whole issue of being born again is all about why because we have to be re-imaged it's about it's about once again we could again because of god's influence in our lives it could repair the marring so and straighten our lives so that we could walk into the world loving appropriately loving rightly being right because we're in now the image of god because we've been born all over again so the idea here is that we are to connect with jesus So that our image is repaired, so that we can begin to represent God in the world. That's his ultimate dream, as we're part of his creation, part of his extension of his rule. Uh, God does reveal himself into the world through things like miracles. God does reveal himself in the world in worship, when people worship, when people hear teaching of scripture. I mean, God's in all that stuff, but there are tons of folks who never see miracles. Or even when they see them, they don't recognize them as miracles. You remember the story when Jesus was uh, with a bunch of people and the voice came out of heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says some people thought it was, you know, they heard God's voice or an angel speaking, and others thought it thundered. <laughs> Think about that. A miracle was misunderstood. See, God does miracles in the world, but many people misunderstand them. God does, you know, a lot of people will never come to our worship services, lots of people will never listen to our preaching, which means. That for some, the only glory of God some folks will ever see in your world is you. Some of the people you work with, the only God they'll see is, is you. How you live, what's going on in your life, what's happening in your heart, which means your hands become his hands. That God intends that your words become his words. That your kindness to an injured soul is a reflection of his kindness and what makes this possible is being re-imaged within this is where paul when he talks about the new creation in second corinthians 5 he says therefore if any person is in christ this person becomes a new creation he says old things pass away everything becomes new what is he saying he's saying that that when we cross the threshold of faith and we open our lives to god that the image we've been made new within that means there's something good about you I know you're naughty. I know that you're not all good. All the time, right? But that doesn't mean there's something good, not good in you. There is something good in you that God has placed in your heart. In fact, a couple of verses later, it says God made Jesus who knew no sin to actually become sin for us that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, there's something right about you right now. That there's a rightness that's been placed in you. That that an appropriateness that's placed in you. So you can walk into the world loving appropriately. You can walk in the world acting appropriately. So that that you're no longer just representing your passions. And representing your history. And representing your disappointments. But that, that somehow as we step into the world. Like Jesus said. Somebody slaps us in the face. Right? He said don't react out of that pain. I mean I'd love to. When somebody hits me emotionally. I want to hit them back in the name of the Lord. I'd like to beat them in the name of the Lord. Torment them in the name of the Lord. If they pluck out my eye, I want to gladly pluck out their eye. And maybe an extra cut off a finger. You know, just something to... Praise the Lord. Right? But Jesus said, when you get slapped, instead of reacting out of the pain, which it's so easy to do, He said, turn the other cheek, which means react, respond out of the healthy part of your life out of the part that's whole that's different and and by doing that we're bringing to bear something else in the circumstance that wasn't there before something eternal it's actually the dawning of the kingdom But but learning how to not live out of the slap is a rejiggering of your soul and it takes a while It's not instant. I mean, you've crossed the threshold of faith. There's something right about you, but it's one thing to have right in you. It's another thing to get the right out of you. Right? Last night I was squeezing this toothpaste. Crest went through the trouble of putting this toothpaste in this tube. But just because I had the tube did not the toothpaste make. I had to open it up and squeeze it. And when I squeezed it, the toothpaste came out. Right? See, you've got to learn how to squeeze out your right. It isn't just something that just happened. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're living rightly. Even though you're made right and you're the rightness of God in Christ. You've got to get that rightness out into your experience, into your life so people can see it. Now, Paul addresses this in Philippians 2. He says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out or squeeze out your salvation with fear and trouble. He's not talking about you working out your salvation as though you're earning it. You don't want what you've earned. Right? Okay. But he's talking about you're working out something. What is he working out? For it is God, in the next verse, who works in. Everybody say, God works in. He works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So he's working that rightness in. But we're to work out what he's worked in. We're to work out what He's worked in. Say, you and I got to—we got to learn how to live in a way where the righteousness of God that's within us spills into our world. It's Hebrew, the Hebrew writer that said that the that the righteousness of God is the scepter of God's kingdom. It's the way the kingdom is advanced. You want you want God's kingdom more in your home? You, you've got to find the rightness that god wants you to approach that home with it's not just you just pray it you've got to act right in it you you want the you want the kingdom of god in your job you've got to learn how to live right in the job it's it's righteousness doing the right thing the appropriate thing loving appropriately living appropriately that spills now don't misunderstand me you don't have to learn to live rightly you can be a toad and if you've asked jesus to come in your heart you get to go to heaven You'll get in by the skin of your freaking teeth, but you're going to get in. And God loves you. God loves you even if you're an idiot. I'm telling you, I I am so delighted that there's nothing about me that can make God love me more. He loves me, period. If you never do right, God loves you. He's for you. And you can use your faith just to keep getting forgiven. That's okay. But your life won't matter much. You won't hit your telos. You won't hit the end game of God's dream for you, why he created you. I mean, you you don't have to. But there's something in me that thinks all of us want to. But if we're going to live in a way that changes the world, that brings the kingdom to bear, it's like my my ring is a sign that I'm married. It's the scepter of my marriage. The scepter of God's kingdom is what's the appropriate thing in this particular moment. When do we need to be courageous? When do we need to be just? When do we need to be? We need to be temperate, prudent, where we're thinking things through. When do we need to be loving, hope-filled, full of faith? Right? These things—these things—are what cause the, the the kingdom of God to be brought forth in the world, where all of a sudden people start seeing God through us. But it isn't an instant thing. I bought this plant yesterday, and uh, uh, isn't it pretty? Isn't that pretty? Purdy, 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 right? Can you see it on there? Yeah, purdy, okay. Ooh. Dude, you know that cameras add pounds? Um, they say about 10 pounds. Uh, and I've got about like six cameras on me right now. Why don't we have you come up here, sweetie? And this shirt, look at it, man. See, actually, I'm trying to say, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) All right, enough of that. This this is a pretty thing. So, So I'm buying this thing. Now, can you imagine if I believe that this is really in here? Imagine my shock when I dig in here to take this out and... Imagine if Valentine's Day comes and I say, honey, here. Dude, I mean, this does not look like this. This is more turd-esque. Right? right? See, but the reality is, and here's what's weird, is this is really in this. See, you really are right inside. There really is something wonderful about you as a believer. God's deposited life in you as a believer. So this really is in this. And, and, but it's in this in potential. And in order for this to actually come out of this, this has to go through a process. And it's kind of a scary process because it has to be buried alive. Right? Right? there's a lot of stuff that has to happen but and, and here's what's weird is that if this thing if you asked it, hey what do you look like he would point to this and say I look like that he thinks he looks like this and he'll think he looks like this he will think he looks like this until he gets in front of a mirror see that's what happens when you read the bible it's a mirror. That's what happens when you get in relationships. They're a mirror. You know, what the best mirror you could ever get involved with is a very close friendship, or even worse, a marriage. <laughs> marriage is the best mirror. It is. The, it is like. It, you know, I. You know, and I'm getting older, and I get. You know, every time I step, I don't know what it is. They tell you. You know, psychologists tell you that, that in the male mind, that you're imprinted. That way you look is imprinted when you're about 17 or 18 years old. So every time I step in front of the mirror, I go. Ah! What happens? And I close my eyes. I still see myself differently than I. See, right? See. Listen. The best thing you can do to start growing in your faith is being honest with the fact that you are a turd. <laughs> now, God loves turds. God loves turds. So you do not have to deturd. To be loved by God. But if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to decide in your heart that, that, that God, help me not represent my reactions based on emotions or my false expectations. Help me not to live and reflect my undisciplined passions. Help me not to live by my own hurts and disappointments in my life. Help me not live by values that are not inspired by scripture. And you just have to get, get on it. And and getting on it is not a often wonderful experience. In fact, it's painful. In fact, let me just be honest with you. Let me just tell it like it is. We tell people God has a wonderful plan for your life, and it's really true. But but the honest process is God is out to ruin your life. God's going to ruin your life. I mean, you think, you know, you, you're coming to God. And, and you say, God, here's my marriage. Oh, Lord, just bless it. Feel it. Touch it. Make it wonderful. And then God jumps into it and starts talking to you about how you think about your marriage. How you're treating your spouse. how What your expectations are that are false. And just... You just go... God, why don't I have any friends? I want to have more friends. And God just gets to you, well, you don't have any friends because you just want to be around people that make you look better. You don't really want to be around friends. You don't want to be friend people that I really will help you befriend. be friend. You just want special people to be your friend because you don't feel good about yourself. Stop! Stop! God... Fix my relationship with my, with my adult son with my, or my teenage son. Fix it, God. And God says, well, let's talk about how you're being a parent because you, try, you want your teenage son to be eight for the rest of his life. That when you come in, he goes, wow, dad, you're amazing. Right? And, and it's different being a dad over a, a 17-year-old or a 23-year-old than it is being a son over an 8-year-old. A dad over a eight-year-old, right? And so God's got to mess with you. See, here's the reality: every time something right spills into your life, it sucks. <laughs> it hurts. Let me a Bible verse for this, since we're in the Bible. Jeremiah 1:10. Watch this. See, today he tells Jeremiah, "I appoint you over the nations and the kingdoms. Watch, to uproot, to tear down, to destroy." To overthrow and then to build and to plant. Uh, uproot, tear down, destroy and overthrow, then build and plant. I, I don't like the tear down, destroy, uproot, overthrow thing. I, I like the build and plant. I like the build and plant. I don't want the other. But you know what this is saying is the majority of God's activity, most of God's activity in our lives is destructive. So when you come to him and say, God help me here, he's going to uproot, tear down, overthrow, and destroy what you think about here. God bless me financially, give me money. God says, that's fine, but let me tear down, overthrow, uproot, and destroy what you think about money. Then let me tear down, overthrow, uproot, and destroy what you think about your work ethic and how you're supposed to approach work. And let me uproot, tear down, and overthrow, and destroy your sense that everybody owes you a living and let me uproot, tear down and destroy and, 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 and you know, c- conquer in you the, this sense that you have that you don't have to work to make yourself better.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, when you come to God and you got a pain in you, it's like our kids coming to me. <laughs> Some of you have this. Your kids used to come to you. They had a splinter and they'll say, Dad, Mom, ouch. And they go, okay, let me look at it. And the minute you touch it, they go, oh! And they say, well, just give me your hand. No. Oh! Say, let me touch it. And then you start touching it. Oh! They pull back. See, they want you to just fix it. They don't want you to, they don't want to go through the pain to get to the gain. And so I'll often tell them, say, honey, you know, there's little kid, you don't tell them. <laughs> I say, now here's your choices. Either you gotta let me have it and I'm gonna take you through some pain and we'll get it out and it'll stop hurting. It'll get better. Or we can leave it in and gangrene will set in it'll start going up and we'll have to cut your whole finger off, then your hand and then your arm. What do you want me to do? (laughs)
1: Right?
0: Listen. The only way God can get rid of the pain in our lives is by hurting us more. I know that's horrible. That's why some of you have so much trouble. He's trying to help you squeeze out what's in you. That's why some of you, you know, push back from entering into seasons of prayer developing in your faith because it's so hard. I get that it's so hard. And understand me, you don't have to grow. God loves you like you are. He'll love you if you're prodigal all the way to the pig pen. He loves you. He's locked himself in you. But how many of you want to, live, want to live a life that matters? Then I challenge you. It's easier to stay in the bag and come to church and let everybody see you Right? It's easier to pretend you're okay. That you're the righteousness of God in Christ because you are. Because really inside you, even though you look like this, it really is this. It's easier to hide away or you can start growing. Up to you. Grace to you. See you next time.
1: I'm going to invite our ushers if they would come as we just prepare for communion this morning. Thank you, Pastor Ed, for that timely word. And invite our musicians as they return. In just a few moments, we as a family will be joining together with communion. opportunity you'll take to have in your hand a a wafer that represents the body of Jesus. the cup that represents the blood that was shed for us. But before we do that, we've had an opportunity this morning to worship God, to declare our thanksgiving to Him for what He's done. We've had an opportunity to corporately pray together. We've had an opportunity to open up our hearts to God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to touch our lives and mess with us. But I want to suggest to you this morning, for many yet this morning, the next few moments are the real reason that God brought you here. You may have thought, well, I was invited to come by a friend. The person sitting next to me, they they invited me to come. In fact, they almost forced me to come. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I've been coming for a long time. But I want to suggest to you, in a few moments, the very reason you're here this morning is for this time right now. God is wanting to re-image you. Some of you this morning are here in this moment, in a few moments... There's an opportunity for you to pray a prayer and you will experience what the Word of God refers to as being born again. Give me a simple prayer. You may be sitting there thinking, you know, I can sense that. There is something different. I sense that. I know what you're saying is true, Pastor Latham. You're sensing the Holy Spirit convicting you. Convicting you of the sin. Not condemning... You see, there's a difference between being condemned and convicted. When we condemn, there's no hope. But the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. Because conviction points to Jesus and and shows us that there is hope. Hope in what? Hope in the gospel, the good news of the gospel. God's love has been spoken about this morning. God's love in sending Jesus into the world to die for us. That we celebrated last Sunday and we're celebrating again today and we will continue to celebrate. The fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. You may say, well, isn't it just that I can be good enough? Can't I try? You, you may have grown up in a situation in a family or even in a church that has encouraged you and said to you, well, you, you, the only way to get to God, the only way to experience God, the only way to get re to be born again, is you've got to do the right thing, you've got to be the right, you've got to go to church, you've got, you've got to do something. I want to suggest to us this morning, there's nothing we cannot, you and I cannot be good enough to have an encounter with God. Jesus was good enough. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross so that when we put our trust in Him, today we can experience the new birth, being born again. So I'm going to invite you this morning, all of us together if you would just pray a simple prayer with me again if you're praying it this morning for the very first time, this is an important time, this is a vital time in our service a time where you praying it from your heart are able to ask God to confess your sin repent of your sin by faith, accept Christ into your life and experience this reimaging, this born again experience, would you bow your heads with me this, this morning and would you pray this prayer after me Just a very simple prayer, but praying it from your heart. It says, dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my life as my personal Savior and my Lord. I'm going to ask you if you just keep your heads bowed for just a moment longer. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time and you're meaning it from your heart, something is happening. You know, the Word of God says that today is the day of salvation and that the whole of eternity you're being welcomed into the family of God because a miracle has taken place. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something else for me. If you would just quickly look up at me, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're meeting it from your heart, if you just look up at me, Get my attention as a way of saying, Pastor Lathan, I just prayed that prayer this morning. God bless you. Bless you. Number of people that are responding this morning. Father, we thank you for those that are responding in prayer. Thank you for those that today are receiving you into their life as their Savior. Thank you, Father, for the rebirthing that is taking place this morning. And so, Father, we just give you praise for that. And as we, together, as a family... Enjoy communion and partake of that bread that represents your body and that cup that represents your blood. As a family, Lord, as we partake of it, we thank you for that. We have a chance to examine our lives as well and be challenged by you, Holy Spirit, this morning. And we pray it in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen.